0: This is From the Studio, an inside look at the culture and community building the school of the future. This is the first original podcast from LikeMind and a creative exploration into ways our team finds radical connection in the new normal. The rapid global shifts unfolding in our world present great opportunity for audacious ideas and transformative solutions to emerge. As thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and artists, we hope LikeMind can be a place for these conversations to be embraced join us as we present in-depth interviews with the team behind Like Mind, explore our vision and ideas, and hear about the strategies that bring our brands to life. So there was a there was a seed planted pretty early uh, in my tenure here about what might happen if we were to bring together certain capabilities and talents into a more concentrated studio environment and so that's that resonated with me but it was almost like it wasn't time in that moment um, to do it Nicholas I think felt inspired to really invigorate this concept uh, in March and April really to address the need we have as an organization to be able to incubate new brands that are, are really just little ideas little sparks and turn them into actionable brands.
1: On today's episode of From the Studio, CEO of Likemind, Kerry Houghton. He shares how his love of travel led to his leadership of our company. We hear about how he created hotels in Asia, runs like the Taramaras, and is pondering the difficulty of finish. We will understand how someone who includes sleep in his process can also be a killer Americano maker. And above all, we will appreciate how Kerry is helping us answer the question, who are we going to become as Likemind? Join us for today's episode of From the Studio featuring Carrie Houghton. Carrie, welcome.
0: Thank you, Eduardo. It's great to be here.
1: It's nice to have you. Um, As we do from the studio, we're going to explore a whole series of questions about you, about your work, how you got here, and certainly the process that helps guide the work that you're doing for Like Mind. Elsewhere in other areas of your life. So let's just dive right into it. Carrie, how did you get here?
0: <laughs> well, it's a, a fun question to answer because it takes me back a few years. Um, I technically first met Nicholas 18 months ago, but let me, let me go further back because um, how I actually came to like mine was through um, my love of travel. And in the early 2000s, I I took the plunge and jumped into the travel industry uh, at Starwood Hotels, and it was an incredible journey and something that I uh, became passionate about. And so fast forward uh, past Starwood to a couple other um, travel companies that I had worked at and and I got introduced to, to Nicholas in connection with the Discoverers 100th edition party in Denver. Um, because of our mutual friend and who knew we both shared uh, this love of travel. So I met him that night, and we had an immediate spark and 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 a lot of common interests and, and just an intuitive sense that we really should get to know each other better and potentially work together. And as they say, the rest is history, my friend. Tell us a little bit about that spark. It's uh, It's hard to describe. It's just you meet somebody and... And there's just sort of an ease of conversation and, and a sense of you know not having to force. It certainly wasn't small talk. Let's just say um, I was fascinated by uh, this startup that had launched you know this publication, the Discoverer. I had, you know obviously read a bunch of editions and, and kind of was in, intrigued by it and just curious uh, you know sort of what the force behind that was. And so um, I you know I came to uh, that evening and meeting Nicholas with curiosity. And uh and he certainly uh you know responded in kind in terms of having um real interest in in where I was coming from and uh and I think that's really a lot of it is just that that mutual interest that was there from the beginning.
1: There's something really compelling about the culture of like mind and certainly of Nicholas, which is that there's both a, a real kind of tactical understanding of you know we share a love of travel. So therefore there's a connection, but there's, there's something almost even tribal about the fact that we kind of get this very intuitive, as you say, spark, um, and, and trust that intuition to know that there's something here. We're seeing, we're seeing, if you will, fellow travelers in each other.
0: Yeah. I I love the way you put that. And, you know, I've learned over the years to, to trust that, you know, it's, it's an intuitive sense or it's, it's more of a, an emotion of connection to another individual and, uh, and their story. And I'm always so interested in storytelling and, and storytellers. And I think that that was, you know, part of this uh, hard to describe connection that we had uh, from the beginning.
1: Shifting gears ever so slightly, you mentioned you come from hospitality, Starwood, one of the biggest hospitality brands ever, and, and obviously your your practice is that of the law. Um, hospitality, law, like-mind, what was that intersection, and how is that intersection showing up for you today in your role?
0: One of the things I truly love about hospitality is that the mission is really serving each guest like a member of the family. And I, I know that's what, was so compelling for me when I, when I found hotels and, and hospitality because it's not a product and it's a, it's a very personal service and experience that's being curated and delivered um, and with incredible uh, sincerity you know by everybody in, in the organization. And, um, and so that sense of serving people um, and having a positive impact on them is something that I felt was at the heart of what I was hearing from Nicholas, you know, from the moment we spoke about what he was seeking to do. I know digital versus physical buildings, it seems really different, but I think ultimately, that sense of the the goal being to have a positive impact. Uh, on individuals who who find us in different ways and who have different levels of interest and different topics. But ultimately there is a personal um, experience that we're seeking to provide. And that's a connection that I felt right away with um, what the vision of, of Inbox Lab and Mind was from the beginning. And then with respect to the law and my background in, in that arena, I can Share what I always tell my kids, which is, you know, so I've got two children who um, have expressed at different points in time, some interest and in, intrigue in, in, in law school and the law and the mysteries of the law, seeing their father kind of go out and do that. And um, what I tell them is that I truly believe that what I learned in law school and as a lawyer is really a superpower of sorts in that it taught me how to read it taught me how to write clearly and it, it helped me appreciate the beauty of a number of things, including structure and organizational architecture uh, and the power of advocacy and representing uh, people's voices that are not heard and staying true to values and ethics and and how important that is to build a foundation on that. So it's very important to me that experience and um. I don't think I'd be here chatting with you, Eduardo, this morning if I hadn't discovered the law. So the combination of those, I think, a part of, a part of my story and, and as a leader, I think, I hope I'm bringing you know, a, a, the wisdom of um, that combination of sort of the, the hospitality and the personal with the depth that the law brings.
1: I'm I'm really compelled by a, a a number of words that you've raised, which is you know one being hosting, the other one being advocacy, and a third being almost storytelling or narrative. And you know, hosting is so much about creating stories and and a narrative or an experience. Um, advocacy is doing that with from a place of values. And you know the, the narrative comes. You know, is the, is the thing that you hope you invoke in somebody that there's they've had such an experience that they're willing to tell it again. And you know, so much a, it's so easy to think of of a digital experience as being very on. You know, obviously on a screen to a vast number of non, anonymous faces, but to to bring to our work the spirit of hospitality and advocacy adds a really compelling depth to me that I, I think we all feel, but um, hearing you use those words are, is, is for me, really resonant about like bringing that much more to the fore among our, our cohort of like-minded folks.
0: I really think that is the power of what we're doing and the direction that we're heading. You know, it's sparking you know, that word sparks, it's sparking at the narrative and the story in our readers um and and so it's it's more than just a delivery of a box let's say it's really giving them something that then sparks their own curiosity takes them on their own journey and then combining that with the power of advocacy is something that i mean you know you we all saw the note that nicholas sent around recently with uh, our partnership with uncharted and you're seeing the impact is such a critical part of our mission, uh, it, You know that deeper impact that we can have and uh, using the platform for, for that purpose. So I think you know, you're starting to see how um, these principles come together. Um, so I think so beautifully in, in what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of what we're trying to do, obviously this, our, our podcast is from the studio and I wanna spend a little bit of time getting your perspective on the studio. In your role as CEO, how are you seeing the studio as a tool, as something to advocate for, or something that's advocating for you? Where, Talk to me about the studio.
0: The studio for concept was first mentioned to me, honestly, probably a year or and a half ago, when, when Nicholas and I um, were just starting to brainstorm and imagine the possibilities of of working together and so there was a there was a seed planted pretty early uh in my tenure here about what might happen if we were to bring together certain capabilities and talents into a more concentrated studio environment and and so that's that resonated with me but it was almost like it wasn't time in that moment um to do it and um nicholas I I think felt inspired to really invigorate this concept uh in March and April and uh really to address the need we have as an organization to be able to incubate new brands that are, are really just little ideas, little sparks, and turn them into actionable brands that we can then replicate and uh and build on. So I love the idea of the studio for that purpose. You know, uh, as a as leader of the team, um, I see it as a way we can manage our creative pipeline, we can use that sort of replicatability and that scalability that comes from being able to create powerful brands in succession and not in a one-off basis. We can use that to drive our, planning, our forecasting, looking ahead in terms of growth and, and what resources we're going to need. So I look at it like an incredibly powerful engine that we can create repeatable processes with. And then essentially that's how we're going to grow and that's how we're going to fill out the portfolio of Like Mind. So I do think it's a, it's a brilliant idea and, and one that um, fits very well within a larger company.
1: One of the things that um, obviously we're all compelled by in the studio is the fact that we're, um, you know, we're inextricably linked to Nicholas and his vision for these brands and creating a group of people that, you know, all like mine, that just happened to be branded the studio, whose multidisciplinary focus is that is to launch brands, so, with Nicholas at the core, benefiting from his you know years and years of experience in the space, and um, collecting around him various thinkers, creative product writer, otherwise, and just be in that kind of constant contact and constantly receiving ideas, vetting ideas, actioning ideas, so that when we do create a new brand, it is thought through ready to go and essentially uh, all we have to do is just get it into people's inboxes so having nicholas at the core of a really you know focused team on creating brands is is not only incredibly efficient but no doubt will be incredibly effective
0: i agree and and i think that the way that we're going about it is is also a learning process we're emulating You know, what we're helping our readers do, which is to learn by bringing um, different people into the studio, both on a long term basis and as, you know, sort of advisors or as creative inputs and just seeing what works and kind of, you know, constantly refining it. And, you know, through Quiz Daily 2.0 and now with um, Inspiring Quotes, we're really starting to see how to do this in the most optimal way and being just, again, curious, um, innovative in building the studio to be the, 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 ideal incubation engine for brands going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know,
1: it's early days for you in the CEO seat. I mean, obviously you've been here for many months and, um, leading the company to, you know, in, through incredible times, both great times and a little bit more challenging, but, where do you see steering like mind as CEO
0: for the next year or two? My vision for the next let's call it 24 months just to keep it simple. It's really a follow on of what we just discussed Eduardo. It's to become experts at building, launching and operating learning centric digital brands and then to use that expertise to build out our portfolio under like mind. That's really going to be the focus for the next 24 months. Along the way, we're going to get a lot of um, help and creative inspiration from the new collection team, from uh, individuals that want to work with us and collaborate with us on in new media, new formats, new ways to, to get our content uh, out in front of larger audiences. But ultimately, the core of the next two years, as I envision them, is really to get very good at that process so that we can have a, a robust and diverse portfolio of like minded brands, um, significant audiences. And so that's number one, I'd say that the most critical thing we're going to be focused on. I think number two, we are going to really advance our social impact mission during that same period of time. And again, I refer to Banks Benitez and Uncharted because we have found in them a partner that really complements our team at LikeMind. And they're already doing amazing things uh, in impact um, and working with uh, entrepreneurs and and innovators to actually take ideas and and to change the world. The idea of of collaborating with them in a deeper partnership is gonna allow us uh, to you know, move forward in this really important arena. Um, That's really a big reason why we exist is to have positive impact. So I see us in two years having a really robust portfolio of diverse and engaging brands and really starting to make waves in content uh, in the learning uh, world and also in social impact and justice. I see all those things being advanced significantly over the next 24 months. Carrie, when you mention
1: good at brand launches, what does good look like?
0: It's the ability to produce really high quality brands in a, in a repeatable manner. It's developing that actual muscle. So what that looks like is um, is the ability to not only produce, let's say, an in inspiring quotes, which is underway now, but then being able to to pivot over to a history brand, today in history, and then from there to a food or recipe brand. In other words, to be able to be content agnostic in a sense and still be able to produce brands that have the hallmarks of like mind. And I think um, Nicholas had presented at the last insight sort of what those four key elements of a like mind brand are. So imagine having every brand we create it's going to always have, at, as table stakes, those core elements. And the ability to do that in a methodical way is what I look at it, Eduardo. So it becomes a skill when it's not a one-off. When we have people with all of the, the required experience and skills really feeling comfortable Understanding where they need to collaborate, who they need to work with, and being able to do it in in a, in a fairly predictable time frame. When we get to that point, then I feel like we've become experts. Right.
1: You know, when when everybody can automatically see a lineup of five brands and pick out the one like mind.
0: That's brilliant. That's exactly what we're looking to do. Yeah.
1: We like to talk process here. Oftentimes we think process in kind of creative terms or kind of mechanical terms. But for a leader like yourself, how do you apply process to your world? What are the processes that you lean into?
0: Well, I can touch upon that at maybe the organizational level and then maybe drill down a little bit into my own processes if that's helpful. For sure. Um, So I think at a high level, I mean, most of the team members will recognize me referring to the cascading process uh, annually of starting with a strategic plan or planning process um, and moving through that um, at that high level and and then landing into a goal setting process, um, OKRs and KPIs, and then essentially you moving right from that into a budget setting process so that we can fund the activities that those goals require so um so we are in the process right now of the four-year strategic plan uh planning and uh, i've got a help from a whole bunch of really smart people like nat kolak and joseph Whitesgold, the whole slt and many others uh engaged in sort of mapping out that longer term vision for four years and we're going to then you know let's say Early December, kind of move from there into a into a very tight focus on 2021, um, and then we will you know use January for OKRs and budget. So that's the process arc that we are in right now. Uh, I love doing this stuff because I'm a big strategic design person. So so at the high level, that's that's the way I look at our current process. But for me personally, I start my process as a leader first and foremost with making sure I'm taking care of myself and I'm showing up 100% for the team. Um, I've learned that over the years that um, to be focused and effective as a leader, I really need to start with wellness. I need to get sleep consistently. I need to wake up, do my meditation. I need to exercise. I need to take care of myself, which is why the whole life challenge is actually quite a lot of fun right now for me it's harder than I realized to uh to actually uh to stay that disciplined every day but so I really know that if I don't have myself and my act together uh, I'm just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to be there for the team at the level that that I think the team should expect so that's the first piece I think that the next thing I think about on process is actually it's not doing something which is not multitasking so you know one of my you know mantras is really to stay focused uh, and, and present and listen to anybody who's with me they should know that that i'm actively listening and i'm not doing three other things the way i do that is really through taking a lot of notes primarily and really making sure am i hearing and my understanding and so i'm a, I'm a very avid note taker it's one of the things that nicholas and i very much share and then my process from there is to scan through my notes every day throughout the day, come back around, mark things as uh, either either completed or things that I need to focus on in a certain order. And so that's part of my process because there's so much information that uh, we're all facing and having to um, sort through every day. And so that's one way I do it. And and finally, I you know with a lot of help from Tara. Um, my process involves very careful time management and calendar management. So really thinking about the arc of a day and not scrambling and not putting myself in situations where I'm not going to be able to be present, you know, uh, and, and focused in, in, a, in you know, every meeting that I am attending or every call. And one way I do that is by making sure there's some quiet time. where I can really reflect uh, and digest and look a little bit further ahead instead of just in the weeds. So I don't know if that addresses your question, but that's the direction I took it.
1: It's very much addressing the question so much so that it allows me to kind of dive into a couple of them
0: um, just to
1: get a little bit more of your wisdom. Let's start with the strategic planning. I mean, obviously that's a little bit of blue sky thinking white paper exercises, but also there's a lot of input that we can turn to. There's a lot of data that helps shape a a strategic plan. Give us a, a few sentences on how you go from, we could be doing this to we will be doing this.
0: It's definitely an art informed by science, I would say. So, you know, the, the art is in really understanding what's possible and being a bit of a futurist. I mean, it's one of the things I love to do is to ponder potential outcomes, potential directions, whether it's for my own personal journey or, or for the company. And so you have to really start in a very wide open space, very imaginative, really don't, don't get too practical in the first few rounds of this because you really want to make sure you don't foreclose something that's actually possible and intriguing and then you know to move from that sort of broad set of ideas and you know that you've dreamed up into okay what makes sense for our team to pursue at this time and in this time frame um that's when you start to dig a little bit deeper into the data and you start looking at um what's happening out in the world what are our what are the companies that, that inspire us? What are they doing today? Um, what direction are they heading? Who um, is producing incredible content and um, and leading the pack? And 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 why are they having that impact? So we really start to look outside of our own sort of imaginary bubble, and really start saying, you know, what's the world look like today, and where is it likely to go? And then from there, you dig one level down a little bit deeper into. Well, if we were to pursue certain ideas or certain capabilities, what might that require? And then you start to enter into the, the question of resources and talent um, investment that's required, right? So now you're starting to get in, in more into the tactics and, and into the sort of the trade-offs. And in the end, you know, when you cascade through that process from the widest scope of the funnel down to the more narrow, you end up with... Typically, if it's done well, you end up with five to 10 ideas um, that make a lot of sense that have been validated as relevant to our mission, things we'd love to do. And even then, you have to go through an exercise and say, well, what should we do in what order? And that's kind of almost the last step of the strategic plan is to then stitch it together um, so that it actually makes sense chronologically Um, because there are certain things that need to come before others. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I love these things. I could, I could do strat planning full time probably. So, um, fortunately I've got really smart and creative people around me that are challenging those ideas at every step, really kind of saying, have you thought about this? What, what, you know, why this as opposed to that? And yeah, so it's a fun iterative process that will ultimately lead to something that will never be 100% a hundred percent predictive. No one ever does exactly what's on the four years draft plan. Can, we can all agree on that. But it really helps set your compass and it helps organize uh, your efforts. So you can, you're still going to be opportunistic. You're going to find things you did not imagine in your strategic planning exercise, and you're going to you're going to choose certain paths that were not on the plan. But for the most part, you're going to put your resources and focus on those key accomplishments that you're setting off to do what i find
1: really compelling is um how you've described the process of strategic planning and how almost beat for beat it matches how in a prior conversation with mike newman we discussed love forming and this idea of starting at the broadest possible place and getting to like some very general ideas or concepts and then drilling down to a tactical place that gets you to either a brand or, in your case, a strat plan that we know very comfortably is exactly the direction we want to be going, we need to be going in, that makes sense for us to be going into. But it also allows us room for facts. Things will change. We'll take these next four steps and turns out the fifth one isn't the one we should take next, or there's an opportunity we should go with. But ultimately, starting from a mission, values, blue sky, place, and then just sort of whittling it down to these are the tactical next steps that we should be taking.
0: Yeah, well spoken. I remember the Miguel Coe, who was the president of Starwood Asia Pacific, used to always use this, this expression, freedom in a framework. So the idea being that you build the framework, You set the direction you've built the map and then you just got to have some some flexibility and some opportunism along the way and not get too beholden to that framework. Um, So it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's like an art. You have to, you have to have both the, the ideas mapped out and thought thought through carefully and the ability to flex uh, as needed.
1: Right. You know, as you were talking about process, I I was also really interested to hear you talk about how much just the role of wellness and time and reflection. You know, we we're I think coming out of a culture of you know the the, the more is the best badge of honor, and you know it's it's you're doing great if you're crazy and you're running a thousand miles a minute and. One of the things that's so um, possible at like mind um, as driven by you and by Nicholas is this idea of processing and reflecting. and yes, take a lot of notes, go back to them, marinate in them, and then make a decision as opposed to this this need to kind of deliver quick, immediate like let's answer, let's do, let's go, let's go, let's go versus let's go after we've thought a bit and so much of what we've also described in the freedom and the framework is let's give ourselves the framework, but then also the freedom to think about it a
0: little bit. Yeah. I love the way you put that because I think without that, without that, that piece of trusting that, um, we've done our homework. We have very, we've hired really brilliant people. We have, invested in ourselves and our own education and training, you know, we, we can trust our judgment in the sense that if we do our homework, we can set sail. We can go out onto the sea knowing that we know what we're doing. And at the same time, knowing that cre- being a creatively driven organization by definition, you, you don't want to put too tight of a box around that. So I'm very um, sensitive to that. And I'm very aware of, the yin and yang, and I think Nicholas and I in some ways try to, um, you know, challenge each other and and sort of represent the somewhat different uh, sides of that because I definitely um, love process and I love structure and I I love what the security that that provides to the organization. And I also admire and know that the beauty of what we're going to do is really going to come from our creative inspiration. And so, you know they're not intention per se, but they do need to each be held and 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 allowed to thrive.
1: You need both sides to have a coin, so you need to kind of you're going to flex the creative side for a little bit and let that you know let those horses run free. But after a while, you got to rein them back in and put them on a track.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, speaking of running, how about that very natural segue? <laughs> word on the street is that you're an avid runner tell us about this
0: you know i truly just love going on trail runs because it gets me outdoors and it gets me off the pavement that's where i am today it's it's it is a passion of mine i i actually started running back in my law school days um and then i of course you know in my 20s and 30s, I was like, yeah, let's turn this into competition. And so I then went from there into, into triathlons and, and kind of lived that culture for a while. But, but honestly, like I'm pretty chill at this point. Um, mostly, I don't, need, I don't need the endorphins. What I really need is just to get outdoors and get off of pavement. I have this thing. I want to be on dirt or gravel. That You know, so it just feels right to me. So that's really what it's all about for me now.
1: What is it about the dirt and pavement? I mean, dirt versus pavement. Go a little (laughs) bit deeper with that.
0: I just started to feel as I was doing a lot of running um, for speed and time you know uh, if you want to run fast you typically you're going to run on hard surfaces. And, um, I just started to feel the pounding of that. And maybe as I was just getting a little older and and realizing that, man, this is probably not that sustainable forever. Um, I was drawn to saying, hold on, i love to hike and I love to run. What would happen if I mix the two together and said, ran on trails. It's, It's not, you know, I'm a little slow. I, to the, I figured this out a little late in life, but, um, but ultimately, that's what it's about for me, Eduardo. It really is. It actually is an ethic for me at this point. You will not find me running on pavement. It is not going to happen. So yeah. So it, there is there is like a sensibility to that in that um, I I like to, just feel like running is really part of outdoors mm-hmm. the outdoors for me. Yeah.
1: I, I think we might have come up with a title to your management book: the ethics of running.
0: Um. <laughs> Well, speaking of which, if you know, you know I, I, that book's been run, been written many times, I believe. I don't. Do you know Haruki Murakami? Sure. Uh, yeah, he wrote this um, this book. <laughs> the whole book is about his relationship to running, and I thought it was super fascinating. But if I if I if I were to even attempt to use running as a metaphor for for life or leadership, I would always have to start with crediting Born to Run. I don't know how many people um, out there have, have read that, but it was a, a a fascinating book about the Tarahumara Indians in Mexico and, you know, just being born to run culturally and kind of, and just, it's just an amazing, amazing story. So I have read some of those running books and, and I, and, and so I, you know, I, I do take some core lessons truthfully, Eduardo, from, from the whole running idea. and And I think, if I could, like, you know, sort of summarize what what I think it's about, it's it's probably simplicity, form, and maybe mental clarity. Those are those are the words that just kind of you know kind of pop out for me. And simplicity in the sense that running is wonderful because you don't need any fancy gear to do it. Like, less is more than running, and I think that's a great life mantra. Um, so I'm a, I'm a bit of a minimalist. The idea of form in running is for those who do it know that basically taking the time to really get your mechanics and your gait correct and focusing and really investing in that is absolutely essential because if you want to run any sort of distance, if you have any form of hitch or mechanical glitch, it's going to be very painful and it's not going to work. So, So running is essentially just forces focus on form which I think is really, really cool. And then the clarity of mind is mostly just a state uh, uh, that I can achieve when I'm on a nice long run and off the grid, off the network. And so I do think that there's, there's that's a place one wants to be uh, as often as possible. So, So I guess that would be my little manifesto, I guess, if I were to try to bring running into my leadership theory.
1: Well, it's, it's a manifesto that maps directly against what you're doing, which is this idea of, you know, get the form right, get the strategic plan locked down. It's very much about less is more, like focus on the things that you're good at, and to do it, you need to have clarity of mind. It's, you laid it up for it to weave together very simply. I'll you
0: slam dunked that one, Edward.
1: right. Tell me a little bit of the future, We've talked about the next 24 months, of course, but you know, let's set ourselves free. Let's let those wild horses run. Where where do you think we're going and and what inspiration do you need to to derive in order to take us to that far-off place?
0: I think we're I think it's really about who we're gonna become as opposed to a place that we're gonna go. That's the way I I look at it. It's like we're really building our own sort of character and and wisdom and, um, and connection um, first to each, to each other and, and then to our audience. So I think our audience is going to take us where we're going to go. Um, I think the most important thing we're going to do is just reach uh, people um, deeply and, and, and you know, expanding perspectives to the wonder of learning is just a beautiful mission. Um, and I'm so thankful for the work that you did on that, Eduardo, in, in helping us find that. So, and and I'm not trying to punt the question, but ultimately I do believe that we will invest in in, in doing great work uh, and having integrity um, and again, flexibility so that we can essentially have the biggest impact we can have in a positive way uh, on as many people as we can. So that is really where we're going at the highest level. The products themselves will um, adapt and will evolve over time, but I think that's gonna be the unifying force. The inspiration that I need and that I find uh, along the way I, it truly starts with sort of the, the daily interactions with the team, with wins that they are sharing, with challenges that they're encountering um, and, and grappling with. Just shared moments together. The some of the things that we do as a team, and to me, that's really the energy. That's like the core source for me. I also take a lot of inspiration from really beautiful content that others make. Um, So the people out there that that I admire, um, and we often share that content, which is really lovely. And you know, the company, like when we're inspired, we're we're always sharing wonderful things that we find. So to me, that's a, a source of energy and inspiration. It's also really important to me, well, critical that our mission actually is extremely important right now in the world. So not just that there's the divisiveness and and just chaos and nonsense that it, that I think is quite loud today, not just in the US, but around the world um i really think that if we're, there's going to be an antidote to that it's going to be expanding perspectives i truly think that is the one way that we can really honestly make progress in in uniting this across these these social media fueled divides so i really think it's big and and so that mission inspires me every time i read it every time i think about it i'm like yeah This is really, really important and very timely. And then other things that inspire me is honestly things like just watching my kids grow up, you know, becoming adults, (laughs) watching them navigate, um, you know, just all the things that I remember. Oh, my gosh, you know, that was a a tricky time in life. But, you know, it's it's, it's a source of inspiration for me. Um, And I think I would also just have to say I get inspired by by time in nature. Um, uh, yeah, I think you've heard that theme, but I think getting up into the mountains know that that is a big part of, uh, where I get both, uh, recharge, but also inspiration. You know, as I hear you talk
1: and, um, and as we are collecting these conversations across the organization, there's, there's a, um, there's a combination for me about like there's a real gravitas to what we're doing and then a real sort of this just very ambitious, expansive, um, almost spiritual aspect to the community that is like mind, but the sensibility that we each bring you know, back to that sort of tribal sensibility, where it's like, I don't know what we're going to do, but we need to do it together because there's something connecting us here. And yes, we're an incredibly tactical moment of a divisiveness that is as pronounced as this country has ever experienced, and um, a the the kind of whiplash that comes with that realization, um, and the kind of you know stop you dead in your tracks as to like the work that needs to be done to to get it to the other side. But as as I hear you speak and as I hear others speak, is there's just this centeredness. There is this belief that we have the tools, the artistry, the strategy, the leadership to get us there, knowing that it's a long game, but that we're in it and we're going to not even win it because that's divisive in its own way it's we're just going to shift the perspective or in our case expand the perspective but staying in that confidence that we have the that we are buoyed by all the right things to address a, a particularly challenging moment and knowing that there is a not challenging moment that follows it
0: it reminds me of really the first book I think we, we all read together as a team, which is the infinite game. You know, as you described that, I think there's no better way of capturing the, the meaning of that, of that book and what Simon was trying to communicate, which is to, to play an infinite game goes against a lot of, you know, sort of business instincts and what, and conventional wisdom. And um, that's why so many companies don't play it, but, um, one thing that keeps me from being overwhelmed by the scope of what we are taking on expanding perspectives to save humanity, ultimately, I'm not saying we're going to do it, but it needs to happen for there to be a future uh, for, for humanity. It can be overwhelming. That can feel like, Oh, wow. We're trying to take, you know, save the planet and, and, and our, our all 60 of us, you know? Um, so I think what keeps me grounded and knowing that, yes, that's ambitious and yes, that is a very large uh, project to undertake, knowing that we're playing the infinite game is really helpful. So I definitely come back to that periodically um, because we're not going to do it alone. We're not going to do it unilaterally, but we are trusting that we're on that infinite game path forward and so what really matters is keep going uh, and not trying to win not trying to beat anybody but if we keep going we're heading in the right direction and we're going to make it we're going to bring people with us and that's what's exciting
1: amen to that as part of from the studio podcast we like to ask our guests a series of questions consider it our very own proust questionnaire and so carrie aside from running what are some of your rituals?
0: The way I look at rituals is a ritual is something that I try to do. I try to practice and it actually manages to stick. So I experiment with rituals quite often and, and some of them are a little more temporary than others. But, but if I were to just really step back and say, well, what really has stuck that it's important to me and it's, it's really integrated in my current um, life day to day, I would say the first thing is probably my morning meditation, uh, taking, it's literally just 10 to 12 minutes using a couple of my favorite apps. I really have come to like, that's a really, really critical part of my day. So no question, that's a ritual that, that I think will be with me for a long time. Another one that's maybe seems a little bit less deep, but has a certain flair to it is that i brew an amazing americano on my home barista with shane roberts thank you for the recommendation um so i I make a killer americano it's just kind of a thing i do it's just something i really look forward to and definitely kind of kicks the day off so that's definitely a ritual um
1: I love the idea of ritual being a little less deep than meditation. I think half the world would think coffee is infinitely deeper than meditation.
0: Okay. I apologize for offending the uh, coffee aficionados of the world, but uh, good point. Um, So I I think another ritual that um, is something I hold close is, is reading in a particular way. And that is that I always have, uh, a fiction, uh, work of fiction and a work of nonfiction going, you know, um, and it's usually it's some combination of, a biography or, or, you know, so, uh, something historical, uh, or has, you know, you know, a historical resonance, um, on the one hand, and then it's just pure fun, you know, novels and fiction. So, you know, reading and trying to read, you know, every day if I can, uh, is sort of, something that I lean into and it's just just part of me at this point what are the titles right now fiction nonfiction. what what's on the bedside all right right now (laughs) pretty deep but um I'm reading the Robert Robert Oppenheimer uh biography right now I don't know I forget uh, what it was is I was in Santa Fe and I went to um Los Alamos so I visited the Los Alamos um sort of museum there and picked up this book and uh it's mind-bending in terms of looking at the story of, if for those who don't know, he was the quote-unquote father of the atomic bomb. And anyway, so that's my deep, heavy, really intense, but really great biography. And right now, I'm trying to think, what was the book I just finished? I should know, it's, it's embarrassing that I don't know this. Um, what is the thing that I've got open? Oh, it's called Bluebird, Bluebird. Uh, it's a, I don't know if you guys have read it. It's a, it's a novel that takes place in so Texas. Um, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. It's a great novel. I don't recall the author right now, but, um, it's, uh, I typically get my books fairly randomly, you know what I mean? Through different people telling me to read this to that and the other, but this is a good one. Um, so I definitely recommend it and I haven't decided what I'm, I'm spinning onto next on the fiction side, but that's where I'm at today. So, um, Stay tuned for the next book
1: recommendation from Carrie. Speaking exactly. of recommendations, um, yeah. next question: What's the best piece of advice you didn't take?
0: Hmm. Um, well, I'd say the best piece of good advice that I didn't take um, is something that really came from my father, and it was his story. Was simply put, like he he grew up. Quite poor uh, in Jersey City, you know. Went, you know, managed to you know through you know to get through college and eventually went to grad school on the GI Bill. And he was a scientist. And then he his company got acquired. And next thing you know, he was in business. He thrived and became you know sort of a business leader in his life. And it always was so important to him, like the power of being like business for him was like his ticket. You know, uh, to. Um, success that he really never envisioned for himself. And so when we were all growing up, my siblings and I it was like, you got to go into you know, study business, you know, economics, business, business. And it was just like drilled into us. And, you know, I just had this intuitive sense when I went to college. I just didn't want to do that. I didn't say I didn't want to be in business. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to spend my college years doing that. So it was actually really good advice that I chose not to take and, you know, allowed me to spend four years doing something I'm, still passionate about, which is studying languages and literature. So, uh, like I said, I I can't quibble with the quality of the advice, but I'm glad I didn't take it.
1: Uh, tell us of an experience you had in which your perspective expanded through learning.
0: Gosh, I mean, I, that happens pretty much every time I, I read a book, you know, or, you know, read a good article. And, and, and I think just because it's still on my mind, it's still timely. I, I would just say that I I was absolutely blown away by the 1619 project from the New York times. And, um, I don't say that lightly. Um, I think I'm, I mean I studied a lot of history in college and, and, you know, I, I read about history. I feel like I'm reasonably educated and, um, you know, reading the when well, I read it originally when it first came out, um, in New York times. Um, before the podcast, which I also recently listened to. but I just, it just it, it expanded my perspectives in, in, in one very important way, which was it just made me realize that even in areas that I thought I knew something about, how little I really knew and and why my privilege and just you know there's so many structural reasons why I didn't know what I needed to know about the history of the United States in particular slavery, um, that is still maybe one of the most impactful pieces of journalism i've ever experienced it still resonates it's it's very real so i would just say that's one i can say uh, wholeheartedly uh, expanded my my entire world
1: i couldn't agree more with you that one was it was so just inspiring i mean all basically all words fail to describe how important that piece of journalism is and for me the the kind of satisfaction of having consumed it just instantly led to this other place of like, what else do I not know this profoundly? <laughs> what, what are the, all of the historical, cultural, social blind spots that we're, you know, witlessly living through <laughs> at this moment. And I mean, true? yeah, well, um, Finally, what's next on your list?
0: I think when I think of next, I just kind of go right to post-COVID for some reason. I feel like I'm not really in a mode of like, so focused on next and bucket lists and all those sorts of things. So what I what I know I want to do next is kind of, is a return in some sense to ritual that has been so important to me most of my life which is really is travel um and interacting in person and with with old friends with family and with new friends and so I think that's next I just don't know when that might be uh, obviously and and I'm also going to do it with a, with a real focus on in not being part of over tourism and not just burning you know carbon left and right and some sort of you know kind of narcissistic you know thing so um so i don't know what it's going to look like it probably will be very changed from what travel was for me in the past but i want to go back and re-explore that and i want to pick up another language thinking from scandinavia perhaps that's kind of drawing me right now so let's see what what happens are
1: you going to take the plans and learn finnish
0: Hardest language in the world? That's um, what I was I'm like, sure. come, on,
1: come on, Mr. Runner.
0: I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, that's sort of like the triathlons of languages. No, I think I, I may go after Norwegian or Swedish. But anyway, just throwing these out as ideas right now. Sure,
1: sure. I mean, as you were talking, I, I just had a, a vision of you with your pen and your notebook and, and like a <laughs> list of items that said COVID and you just crossing it out or check, did it. <laughs>
0: Totally! Oh my goodness.
1: Well, Carrie, we've loved talking about with you, about you, around you, um, and and understanding that we are this incredibly uh, sensitive and sentient tribe that is um, looking to expand perspectives through the wonder of learning, and doing so in a way that starts with ourselves and emanates across across our community that is the 60 of us at like mind and the millions of us that we have the privilege of connecting with on a daily basis and we do that uh ever more effectively and ever more powerfully under your leadership so thank you for today and thank you for all that you do for like mind
0: thank you Eduardo. i really enjoyed this thanks again
1: And for the rest of y'all, stay tuned for our next From the Studio coming up real
0: soon. Bye for now.